Welcome to the Surrender Podcast. Surrender is a collective of Christian groups and organisations from across Australia. We work in unity to share Jesus' call to seek his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. We create spaces for the sharing of stories that motivate, support and equip people to love their neighbour, share good news and live justly, both locally and globally. Please note, Surrender provides spaces for conversation and storytelling and does not necessarily endorse the personal views of any one presenter. This is Shane Clifton's Bible study entitled Reading the Scriptures Through Disabled Eyes. Shane is Professor of Theology at Alpha Crucis College in Sydney. He is quadriplegic, a quirip theologian, an unhealed Pentecostal, a feminist ally and an open-minded Christian. He usually cringes at representations of disability in the media and in the church. In his Bible study, he creates space to reflect on disability, to explore limitation, vulnerability and dependency, and the creative power that is central to every human life. We are born utterly dependent. At every point in life, we are at risk of illness and a disabling injury, and old age itself is a form of disability. This series of Bible studies invites participants to look at the Bible through the lens of disability. It takes a hard look at the passages in the Hebrew scriptures that seem to alienate the disabled and provides fresh insight into passages of inclusion and liberation. This is part three of his Bible study which explores the ways in which the fruits of the Spirit can help us negotiate our vulnerability and dependency. Welcome uh, for the uh, third final Bible study that uh, Shane's doing. So Shane's talking again about seeing scriptures through disabled eyes. Uh, if you haven't been here, the other two on welcome for the first time. If you have been, glad you're back. Uh, I'll, I'll mention this now. But, uh, Shane has a book that we've got across the table for sale, which talks about some of the ups and downs and uh, kind of very personal kind of recollections thoughts about uh, the first few years of We've also got a brochure across the way to this program, which is uh, the inclusion of All right, thank you. Let's just pray. Come Holy Spirit. We do pray that uh, you fill us with your life, with your joy, with the fruits of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. Well, thank you for those of you who have come back and I haven't scared off. Thank you for the new ones who have come. Um, we've been having some fun doing suspicious readings of the Bible. Um, so if you came looking for controversy this morning, we're not going to have any controversy. I'm sorry, I'm not doing a suspicious reading of the Bible this morning. Um, so I'm, I'm going to switch the attention um, to life, really, to um, thinking about the good life um, and how we attain it. So, um, so there's no suspicion or controversy, but hopefully you'll find some meaning. Um, and we're going to be reading... Um, sort of some extracts out of Galatians, so if you wanted to turn there, and we might actually start with uh, 
quick reading from Galatians 6. Read three verses. And then I'm going to set them aside without explaining them at all. Have a bit of a discussion and we'll come back to them. Alright? So, who's got it? Will there? Get there pretty easy with um, computers nowadays, can't you? So, don't be fooled. You can't outsmart God. A man and a woman gathers a crop from what he or she plants. Some people plant to please their sinful nature. From that nature they will harvest death. Others plant to please the Holy Spirit. From the, from the Spirit they will have uh, eternal or fullness of life. Let us not become tired of doing good. At the right time we will gather a crop if we don't give up. So when we do good to everyone, let us do it. Let us make a special point of doing good to those who belong to the family of believers. All right, so um, I'm, I'm going to come back to some of life's story. Um, for those of you who don't know, just in three seconds, uh, in 2010, I had a, um, an accident at a church facility. So youth leaders here, be careful for how you set up your facility. This is a, a jump which was set up for young people to jump in, jump their push bikes and skateboards on it. Um, well, I did it and broke my neck, so I've got a really glorious scar right here. So I broke my fourth and fifth vertebrae, um, which means I'm a quadriplegic, but I'm not Christopher Reeves. So, as you can see, I'm not completely stationary, but it's affected four limbs. So I've got biceps, no triceps. I can't get that arm to go that direction or use the wrist and the fingers. Um, and I've had some recovery on this side. So uh, if you ever have someone who falls over and um, looks like they might have damaged their back, keep them as still as you can. Um, because a lot of the damage to the spinal cord occurs after a break's occurred. So uh, what's happening is the, your, your spine, the bones around the spine are really protecting the, neuro, the neurons that run from the brain down to your muscles and then from your muscles back up to your brain. So um, a lot of damage to the spinal cord is done after the break. And For example, I was with a lot of people in uh, Prince of Wales Hospital who um, broke their neck in the surf. It seems to be a common place to break your neck. Um, you dive in not realising how deep it is. Um, I knew other people who broke their neck um, diving into creeks and things, so be careful jumping into water. But the problem is once they dive into and break their neck in the surf, you've got to get them out. Um, and it's often the getting them out that does uh, further damage to the spinal cord. So um, so I was fortunate though that I had this fall um, and I was able to be kept pretty still. It was a really scary experience actually. I was stuck with my head down in a foam pit. Um, it took them about an hour and a half to get me out um, because they just, you know, they don't want to move you. Um, so um, they managed to get me out eventually, flew me up to Prince of Wales Hospital and uh, I spent seven months in hospital there, which is a long time. And uh, hospital food is just unbearable. So. Try eating hospital food for seven months. Um, 
I came to hate watermelon. For some reason, uh, the hospital that I was in had watermelon for lunch and for dinner. Um, so it's taken me many years to actually be prepared to put a watermelon back in my mouth again. Um, but I don't know why hospital food is bland and tasteless. I reached a point where, um, where I ate out every night, um, which probably wasn't very good for my health, but there you go. So seven months, and I, there is a reason for telling this story related to this text, so just bear with me. Seven months in hospital, and then I, I was um, just desperate to get home, you know. It's, um, and we had to uh, we had to buy a new house, of course, because the home we were living in didn't cope with these chunky wheelchairs. So my wife bought a house without me seeing it. That was pretty good, wasn't it? And um, it's actually quite a nice house. Uh, so she did well. Um, the first time I saw the house was when I came home from hospital. So actually, that was a month before that. So you're desperate to get home, and I think you're sort of imagining that when you get home, um, you're going to be able to sort of get back into the life. And I think you always think, well, you know, I'll just I'll recover now, I'll get back to the life I had before. And I think it wasn't really until I got home that the extent of the loss really hit me, actually. Um, so um, I became desperately unhappy for really a long time, um, maybe a couple of years. I, I've started to become a lot better recently. Um, when I say recently, the last couple of years. But so spinal cord injury takes a long time to adjust to. Um, I should say, if you've got an interest in, is there anything you've, you, you're sitting and thinking, I've always wanted to know this about spinal cord injury. Has anyone got a question about? Buy the book. Oh, well, you could buy the book, that's true. But you couldn't be bothered buying the book. Is there any question you've got? <laughs> about spinal cord injury. You don't need to, but... All right, we'll pretend there's no questions. <laughs> Ask them later. So I was desperately unhappy. And, um, and part of rediscovering my happiness uh, came with investigating a, a tradition called virtue ethics. So what I'd like to do today is equate this tradition with this text uh, in Paul. And um, uh, interestingly, actually, um, so I was reading, uh, who believes in divine providence? Um, I sort of sometimes do and sometimes don't. Maybe it depends what we mean by it. But um, when I was on holidays in 2010 with my family, I was halfway through a book called Dependent Rational Animals by a, uh, a philosopher, Alistair McIntyre. And this was a book on virtue, ethics, and disability. And uh, it was all about dealing with dependency. His basic argument is, um, is that virtue ethics tends to be focused on individual moral responsibility. Um, but we need to rethink virtue ethics to deal with the dependency that's part of human life. Um, so, I was reading a book on disability and I broke my neck. Um, I don't know what you make of that in terms of divine providence. Is that God being cruel or is that a divine sense of humour? I don't know. So, uh, however you make it, 
uh, I decided about a year or so down the track to pick up Yap again. And uh, so I finished that book and then I, uh, I am a bit weird, as a way of processing my loss, I picked up some other books of Alistair McIntyre's, if you're interested. Uh, sorry, yes, Karen? What was the name of the book? Dependent Rational Animals. Uh, he's most famous for After Virtue, uh, if you're familiar with him. And I decided I'd go and read Aristotle because the virtue ethics has its grounds in ancient Greek philosophy. Um, uh, in fact, if you are interested, Aristotle is surprisingly easy to access and read. He's not typical. Um, so Nicomachean Ethics, for example, is freely, freely available online. Um, this tradition gets taken up by Christianity, especially through the work of Thomas Aquinas. And so, in fact, Thomas Aquinas, who's a very famous, uh, probably the most famous Catholic theologian in the uh, 13th, um, 12th century, um, structures his entire systematic theology on virtue ethics, which is really interesting. And since that time, Catholic ethics. Is there any Catholics here? No, this is a non-Catholic gathering. There you go. So Catholic ethics is still grounded in virtue ethics. And, uh, well, virtue ethics is a study of happiness. Um, which is really interesting. You think it's about morality, but it's actually asking, well, it starts with a fundamental question, which is, what is happiness? Um, so, let's start with you thinking about that question. What is happiness? And uh, what we've been doing in these studies is, talking to our neighbours, and we're all thinking about it. Why don't we talk to your neighbour? A definition of happiness. How do you understand happiness? What what makes it up?
Time in Galatians, so keep that text uh, open. And um, we're looking at happiness at the moment, in case you're wondering what we're talking about. So, all right. I like the fact that um, there was lots of conversation going on there. This is an important topic, isn't it? So, who would like to start us off with 
um, a thought on how you understood this? <coughs> Anyone bold? I, we talked, oh, I basically talked about um, contentment. So, um, a contentment that's like beyond the external circumstances. Mm. Um, so, not dependent on favourable external circumstances. Yeah. Um, uh, and and more probably uh, more about um, connection with God or union with God or finding um, a, a, an experience where the spirit gets connected yeah. with God and, and, and that initiate, initiates yeah. a union, a, a union and a transformation within, I guess. And that's not really dependent on you know, things that happen externally. Yeah, all right, that's good. Transcends yeah. um, certain circumstances. Contentment's an interesting one. Um, by the way, there's been lots of scientific studies on happiness. If you're interested in the science of happiness, you can look up a discipline called positive psychology or hedonic psychology. Um, one of the ways in which they measure happiness is life satisfaction. So contentment, life satisfaction uh, has, a, has a measure there. I find contentment an interesting one, to be honest with you. Um, because I feel like uh, contentment and um, and being a certain to a certain extent discontent with life. There's value there as well. Um, there's a, sort of a, an important balance sometimes I think between satisfaction and not being satisfied with where you're at. Um, so uh, and then connection to God. All right, excellent. Anyone else want to add something to this uh, conversation? Okay, that's really interesting. Um, because in making that observation, so in case you didn't hear it, um, they they were saying they find it they found it more difficult to define what happiness is than what happiness is not. Because you might be interested to discover that Aristotle starts exactly that way. Uh, so he, he starts talking about what happiness is not as the way of trying to understand happiness. So, all right, well, what then did you say it's not? It's not the absence of Not the absence of sadness. Notice, by the way, what you're drawing on there with sadness and with contentment, interestingly enough, is um, emotion. Um, so one of the big questions here, because I think modern people tend to define happiness as pleasure, don't they? Um, so, you know, happiness is eating chocolate, um, having sex, so, um, so Aristotle wants to say, um, nah, happiness has a deeper sense than that. Um, 
By the way, I think Paul says exactly that in the text that we've been reading as well. Uh, so this is um, Paul and uh, the scholar in agreement here. Um, pleasure comes and goes. It is dependent on the circumstances. You can't control it. You have no sort of say um, with pleasure. Um, I, I should say Aristotle, Paul, they don't want to say pleasure's not a part of happiness, not a part of the good life. Um, and there is scientific studies, by the way, that show that if you never experience, you know, joy, play, celebration, um, then other things that might be judged as happiness often lose their colour as well. So we're not wanting to get rid of um, pleasure and joy and celebration, but happiness is is deeper than that. So. All right, very good. Has anyone else got anything they might add to this? You're having a similar conversation? Yeah, right. We're talking about uh, happiness in terms of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. But, but most happiness comes out of relationship. Most definitely, yeah. Um, and then ultimately relationship with God, but relationship with each other. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. It's a moral prescription, but it's also a prescription for the good life, isn't it? For a deep happy and meaningful life. Um, all right, well, look, you're all getting along the same thing. Um, Aristotle starts by defining happiness by what it's not. He looks at pleasure um, and he says, you know, one swallow does not make a spring, one fine day uh, does not make a, a summer. So, um, so life's lived over the long term. And his, his major point here, by the way, is that happiness is a telos, a goal, um, something we're moving toward. And it really is uh, ultimately the life well lived. Um, he wants to say, you can't tell happiness but looking back. And, um, and, and looking back, you'll be able to look at a life that had, that's, has its ups and downs, its heartaches, its puns, its successes, its achievements, maybe some of its failures, um, and yet it's been good, meaningful, um, significant. And um, so, as I said, I was desperately unhappy. Um, and thinking about a different way of conceiving of happiness was really um, important to me. It became a way of thinking that, hold on a second, my life's not over here. Um, I can't do a lot of the things that I once did for happiness. So I was a surfer, um, I played golf, you know, um, th there's an impact upon my ability to play with my kids. Um, there's a sexual impact for spinal cord injury. So a lot of these sort of, um, the avenues for pleasure seemed to have gone there. Um, but meditating on um, on happiness as a deeper reality became important for me as a way of, of realising, hold on a second, I can live a meaningful life um, and I can live a rich life, uh, even stuck in a wheelchair, um, 
or free in a wheelchair, I should say. So, so this became really important to me. Now, so that's the first part of, I think, both... Um, well, if we were to go back to Galatians, um, can you see resonance of this in what Paul's saying here in the text we were looking at? So you cannot fool God, so don't make a fool of yourself. You'll harvest what you plant. If you follow your selfish desires, you'll harvest destruction, but if you follow the Spirit, you'll have eternal life or fullness of life. Don't get tired helping others. You'll be rewarded when the time comes um, if you don't give up. We should help people wherever we can, especially if they are followers of the Lord. So here Paul is talking about eternal life. It's a telos, isn't it? It's a goal. Uh, he's saying live here. He sets out some of where you might find that meaning, doesn't he? By helping others, by living for others. It's actually a pretty relevant message, isn't it, for a conference like this one? I think there's a um, there's a statement being made that a life lived for the meaning of justice has the potential to be a, a good life. So, all right, um, we'll, we'll come back to that text maybe later on. I should say, um, is there any since we're into suspicion? Um, in this little exercise. We were doing suspicious readings of the text yesterday and I won't tell you about how to go and do that for the new guys, but anything that stands out to you is slightly problematic in this text? Yeah, the logic of reaping what you sow is um, challenging um, and shallow versions of that find their way into Christianity um, especially in some of the Christianity I'll come to you, especially in some of the Christianity that I'm involved with with um, Pentecostal Christianity because it's um, if you sow faith you'll reap health if you sow finances you'll reap wealth um, but I think some of those dangers can find their way into justice communities of a different type. If you sow your money, you'll reap deep and rich relationships. If you sow um, your vision into creating an urban garden, all of the people in the local community will be attracted to that. And um, it's a nice sort of myth, um, but real life doesn't always work out that way. Um, so I think that's as true for justice communities as it is for other types of faith communities. Um, I'd be interested to hear people's comments on that, but yes, did you want to add something? Um, just the other way to be read is, is Primarily and morally, and I'm framing it in terms of duty. Um, there's one thing that kills the good life, duty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in case people couldn't hear, because I realised it's a long way across there. What was your name, sorry? Campbell. Campbell was saying um, it, it easily becomes duty, reaping what you sow. So it's. Um, work for a result and uh, so uh, very very true. But this is the 
this also speaks about the sinful nature, and it talks about a little bit about that's satisfying the sinful nature, which is basically hedonism, I guess. Yeah. You know, like I mean, it, you know, the things that you do to satisfy pride, um, your uh, senses, uh, your different tastes, yeah. uh, things that you do for yourself. In fact, if you're going to be, you know, sowing money in the church so that you can get money back, that's a selfish motivation. So that is a selfish sure. motivation. Sure. I'm actually, what, just in terms of the suspicious readings, often you can do a suspicious reading and you're really, what you're actually doing is examining your own interpretation of the text. Because when you dig deeper into Paul, there's no way Paul has a simplistic vision of... Um, you reap what you sow. In fact, um, uh, Paul is a strong critic of that, and any and any emphasis on grace which Paul has got criticizes that. So uh, I definitely think um, you know there's this. Uh, and for Paul, the reaping what you sow, by the way, is ultimately, even though um, life is hard, bad things happen to Christians as well as to non-Christians. The ministry that we work at and sow our life in isn't always successful. Um, I love what Shane Claiborne uh, did on Saturday or Friday night, but the truth was he didn't mention any of his failures. Everything that he did worked. Um, and it's sort of intriguing um, because that won't be your experience, I can tell you. Um, but Paul's, Paul is still saying that you reap what you sow. He's looking for a deeper reaping here, isn't it? It's uh, eternal or fullness of life, and so it is that deeper connection with God. Um, so, all right, back to the virtue tradition, because I want to get us thinking about some virtues. Um, so, the virtue tradition says happiness is the good life. It's the life lived for meaning and purpose. And it's achieved by the exercise of virtue. Um, so, virtue. now. It's interesting because the language of virtue was common for ancient societies, but actually it's language that has gone out of favour. You don't hear it anymore. Um, and so when I talk to students about virtue, they don't really know what it means. Um, so a virtue is a habit of character. Um, you. We learn virtues by modelling. So our parents or our families or our churches model virtues to us. Um, and they might teach virtues to us. But it's a habit of character. So um, you might know honesty, for example. But unless you make that a sort of a habit, you learn about it. But you've got to, it's got to become part of your life that you practice without thinking. Um, so, um, and virtues um, help you achieve your good life. And, uh, and so you might think of virtue often as being in relationship with vice. So virtues have their related vices. Um, the, the virtue tradition says there's, uh, for each virtue, or for most virtues, there's a vice of excess and a vice of deficiency. So, for example, the virtue of generosity has a vice of stinginess, um, which is not enough generosity, 
and then a vice of profligacy, which is this sort of um, wastefulness. And, um, and the virtue of generosity is lived in the mean. Um, courage, for example. Um, the, the deficit of courage is the vice of fearfulness, um, of not being prepared to go into battle or fight the fight. Um, but uh, foolhardiness is the vice of excess. It's rushing into battle unthinkingly, um, taking no concern for your own life, for example. So, so virtues, now, how do virtues lead to success under this way of thinking? Well, just think about any goal that you've got in life. Um, how do you achieve the goal, whether that is the long-term goal to live the good life or a short-term goal? Think about, um, you know, wanting to become a sporting success or thinking about, you know, wanting your ministry to succeed in the urban, I don't know, Bedford or wherever you are. Um, so what, what do you need for that to succeed? Well, you need to exercise patience. If you give up too soon, then you'll never accomplish anything. You need to exercise um, courage because it's going to be tough. People are going to come against you. So think of all the virtues that you need to succeed and then think of the consequences of not exercising those virtues and exercising pies. And um, Aristotle will say you don't achieve the good life. So, um, questions on virtue and that basic logic. So there's a really simple logic here. Happiness is long-term flourishing, living for meaning, living a valuable life. I, the, I do have a question. Okay, yeah. Um, so, um, wanting to gather all these virtues for your own vision and your own purpose, isn't that the wrong what? the wrong way, I mean, isn't that selfishness? I mean, like losing yourself is finding yourself according to the Bible, the Bible, and losing yourself specifically in God, so saying God, I give myself up to you to cross, transform me, and do what you will with me, rather than saying, I have this vision, how can I collect all these virtues so I can get my vision to succeed? Yeah. I mean, it sounds more like a selfish motivation. Sure. I think you've interpreted Maybe you what I've said um, in a way that wasn't meant to be intended. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, and we've not spent any time thinking about what the good life is, so living a meaningful and a good life. Um, Christians are going to find that in a particular way that non-Christians um, might define it differently. So we might say that meaningful life comes for living for God and you might say the gospel becomes the meaning with which you live for and then that you've got a particular call to live that gospel in whatever the ministry uh, you're in. So is that selfishness, wanting to live the good life in this way? Well. Um, love your neighbour as yourself. I don't think there's anything in the gospel that doesn't also reckon that um, that uh, self is um, something you should be discounting. In fact, I challenge that. Uh, in terms of you know getting all these virtues for yourself, well, 
Um, I'm actually going to say that this is about character. It's becoming an authentic, moral person. It's about taking responsibility for for the way you live, for your own morality, for your ethics. Um, is that selfishness? Well, I, you know, I think uh, not at all. Uh, in fact, the virtues are all going to be other directives. So, um, yeah. The Bible does say, lose your life and you'll find it. Find your life and you'll lose it. So. Sure. I don't think there's anything here that contradicts that. But, no. uh, and that's not about self-negation. Yeah. Alright, so now, let's get into Paul. Because I want to say, I'm going to run out of time here, which I hate. Um, which is my own fault. But So go back to Galatians 5. Because Paul brings in some really important counterpoints to the virtue tradition. Um, and we'll read just one to six. So Christ has set us free. He wants us to enjoy freedom. So stand firm. Don't let the chains of slavery hold you again. Here is what I call say to you. Don't let yourselves be circumcised. If you do, Christ won't be of any value to you. I say it again. Every man who lets himself be circumcised must obey the whole law. You don't need to read that in a gender-inclusive way, do you? Um, some of you are trying to be made right with God by obeying the law. You've been separated from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. But we expect to be made completely holy because of our faith in Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, we wait in hope. Now, Paul is going to go on and talk about virtue. Um, and we'll come to that in a second. But he starts with grace and with insisting that none of this is accomplished by the effort of obeying the law. And, uh, and I think that's a really important sort of counterpoint for the virtue tradition. Um, because the virtue tradition is in danger of saying that... Um, the good life is achieved by your effort. Um, so you know, if you exercise virtues, you can accomplish anything. And uh, there's this thing called the positivity myth, actually, which this is, a, this is a common Christian and secular way of thinking. If you have a positive attitude, if you exercise courage and determination, you can succeed in anything. Um, and that can become a real draining way to live. Um, I'm an outsider, I should say, to this conference, to the justice community. Um, it's not that I'm not um, working for justice, but um, this is not been, as I said, I'm a Pentecostal, so this has not been the crew that I traditionally hang out with. And uh, if I was to bring one challenge to you, it would be the danger of justice becoming another form of legalism. Um, of um, if you're not careful, this is another form of circumcision, uh, another slavery that you put on your life. And there's a, there's a real need, I think, to balance. There's a <coughs> wonderful paradox in Paul here between grace and virtue, grace and the good life, grace and the freedom of the spirit. And, um, yeah, look, it's become really important for me um, to work out how to live with this cantankerous body that sometimes 
I've just got to allow myself to recognise I can't be strong, I can't be determined, I can't accomplish anything. I've just got to allow the rhythms and the flow of this body to take me where it will. Because you can't fight all the time. And uh, I give you that challenge. Um, so I don't know whether that's actually worth you talking amongst yourselves for. Um, let, let's stop and do that. I'm not going to finish this Bible study nowhere near it. But here I've given you a challenge, uh, the, the, the need to have to exercise this paradox between grace and the danger of justice becoming a form of bondage for you. Talk about that amongst yourselves for a few seconds. <laughs>
it's like a virtue because one virtue trumps all the others. You know, that's why yourself um, so Paul starts with grace but then moves on to virtue um, and uh, I'm sure you're familiar with this passage of scripture verse 22 in chapter 5 the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control now we're used to labelling them fruits of the spirit, and it's a fantastic label. They are virtues, though. Can you see that that's the case? These are character traits, and they're fruits of the spirit because the idea is that the spirit is transforming us. Uh, we often talk about the work of the spirit in sanctification. So the spirit is moulding our character, so that these are the habits that we develop. Uh, in contrast to the fruits of the flesh, which are vices. Um, so, uh, I think the, the fruits of the Spirit or meditating on virtue is, um, it's just really a rich thing to do. It's, one of the questions is, is this a fixed list? And the answer to that is not at all. Um, virtues are the character traits we need in the particular situation. So for me, um, probably a lot of my reflection on the sort of virtues that I've needed uh, is dealing with dependency. So I was um, 39 when I had this injury, um, physically fit, um, um, ma male, you know, that's the height of independence, isn't it? Um, financially comfortable, academically doing well in life. So I was. Um, you know, proud, independent, and all of a sudden um, went to this experience of absolute and complete dependence, um, you know, unable to take myself to the toilet to get dressed in the morning uh, if I'm in bed to turn a light on and off. Um, and it's a, it's a massive adjustment. Um, 
And so one of my challenges was thinking through, well, what new virtues do I need to acquire? Um, one of the ones I've thought a lot about is the virtue of humility, for example. Um, I think sometimes this ability, um, you know, go on a train and let your bowels give way, for example. Um, dealing with piss and poo and wee as uh, Joel. But, um, I'm used to those sort of things. Um, you know, patience, dealing with the medical profession. Everything in life takes a heck of a lot longer. Um, so, and again, think through what's the consequence of me being impatient and ungrateful, for example. Well, I have a negative effect upon my carers and my wife. The truth is, they won't keep working for me if I don't develop those virtues. You really do see this in the hospital system. There'll be people uh, on the wards who yell and scream and tell the nurses to F off. Um, on the hospital ward, the nurses help them out because they've got to, they're being made to. Um, but it doesn't happen outside of that in life. Um, so, we're not here to talk about me, but to think about you. So, what are the virtues that you've had to develop? Um, both, maybe, because you've had to deal with dependency, or maybe you've had to look after another person, or when you're working with difficult people, for example. Um, what are some of the fruits of the spirit that you need to develop in your, in your own life to make a go of that? And uh, we've, that's where I'm going. I'd like to finish there. So, but we might allow one or two minutes toward the end to just get some of your feedback on that so we can hear each other. But let's have one last conversation about the fruits of the spirit that you've had to develop or maybe that you need to ask the Holy Spirit to, uh, to help develop in you because they're not there yet. Um, this is both satisfaction contentment and dissatisfaction This is one of many conversations recorded live at Surrender 17 Melbourne. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and check out our website surrender.org.au for more resources and opportunities to get involved.